Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, Burton Bell from the legendary Fear Factory and his other project, Ascension of the Watchers. And sometimes you can even catch him singing alongside Al in ministry. Burton, how are things? Oh, Robert, thank you very much for that grand introduction. You make me out to be like... The Troy McClure of metal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love I love referencing Simpsons whenever I can. Well, what did you enjoy most about your time singing with Alan Ministry? I that was just I was not expecting you to walk out the very first time I was at Ministry and you came out. So, well, uh, to start off, um, you know. Been a fan of ministry for quite some time. Uh, for me, I, I got into ministry uh, during their Land of Rape and Honey era, which was roughly 88, 1988. So uh, since then, Al was legendary and just wrote legendary, their ministry wrote legendary records after that. So just to be on stage and next to Al uh, uh, and to be able to work with him with ministry music. Uh, just be on stage and to you know, sing some of those classic songs that I love. You know, um, a dream come true is uh, is an understatement. <laughs> well, what was it like touring with him? Were you on the same bus, or did you guys travel separately? No, the band was on the bus, and luckily I was considered part of the band. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, I was rather reserved, actually. Uh, he's uh, two on, he sticks to himself. You know, he's a little bit old. He's the oldest person on tour, but uh, he stays to himself and he he watches the news and you know he's kind of like a regular. I don't want to say he's a regular person, but he has regular habits like everybody else and uh, highly intelligent, uh, great conversationalist, and uh, you know he's fun to be with when uh, you know everything's going well. Well, I want to get into your new album because it sounds fucking awesome and. Listening to it, I can feel like you're itching to get out there and play this live. Am I am I right on that? Are you are you really yeah. just jumping at the gun? Sure, absolutely. We're all, you know, you, you nailed it on the head. I'm very anxious to get this out there. I'm very anxious to play live. I haven't played live since uh, since that ministry tour, since the last ministry tour I did in, two, in 2018. So yeah, I mean, I'm not the only musician that's dying to get out there, but. With this new record, with the new Ascension of the Watchers record, God, I'm really excited to uh, get it out there and really play it live because live is the, is the sound that I really was going for for this album. And uh, to really get it out there live and to play these songs, not deconstructed, but the way they're meant to be heard. Well, was this album recorded back in 2018? Because I remember hearing that it had a different name back back then yes so we uh, it was 2018 that we started a pledge music campaign to uh to to garner you know to raise funds to be able to record the album because we were having issues uh finding a label uh, that believed in us so we decided to go to to the uh pledge music campaign foundation and uh, we raised money but uh, to start off the campaign, we needed a title. So I had 
of, um, <clears throat> so one of the pieces I wrote, the, the, which was probably the first piece that I wrote for this album, was called Stormcrow, and it was just the instrumental, and I always wanted it to be an instrumental. I wanted it to be just like this, this, uh, this, this movement of music. So uh, we just used the going title Stormcrow. And for me, Stormcrow means is that it was a messenger. It was something that, a harbinger that brings the news from the universe. And so Stormcrow was the first track that I wrote, and everything afterwards was the, were the messages that Stormcrow brought. So when, it, when, we just, when we finally got to record the album, which was, guess what, I can't remember. Um, was it 20, I guess it was 28. 2018? No, it was 2019 that we started recording the album in early 2019, which is when the Pledge Music campaign, when Pledge Music went bankrupt. Um, You know, we continued recording regardless because we we started recording. So, okay, let's finish this album. And as we progressed and the album progressed, the, uh, the feeling of the album changed. And so I felt that Storm Crow oh, it was a good song title, I didn't feel it was strong enough for an album title. And the, the, the title for the song Apocrypha really seemed to sum up the entire idea. So I as took artistic liberty and changed the name. Did you and John have, have this vision of what you wanted it to sound like to begin with, or did this really just come from playing it out and experimenting? Um, well, it, mostly from playing out and experimenting, but in my mind, I had, in my mind, I had this vision of how I wanted it to sound. The last record that we recorded came out in 2008, which was Numinosum. And that album was, it's a good album, but, you know, it has great songs on it. Uh, has a very ethereal and ambient, uh, production. Not so punchy, not so live. And we did some shows after that album was released. And, I, and as we were doing the shows, what I learned was that the, the live version, live sound, was what I wanted to capture on the next record. So it was like a progression. It was like a you know, learning experiment. It was trial and error. And so with this vision in mind, and with this vision in mind that's how we went into... Uh, uh, recording Apocrypha. You've always had like a lot of cinematic elements to your music. How much did film play a, play a role in your youth, and how much does film still play a role in when you're when you're getting down and writing lyrics, especially? Well, films um, are a big part of my life. They always have been for me as a child growing up. Films were, you know, an escape mechanism to. Uh, escape into a story visually uh, and, it, it, and with, a, with a visually exciting scenario plus a story on top of it just made me really, really dream better and bigger. So films have been a huge part of my life and always have been. They're inspirational. They, uh, I get inspiration from uh, the, the, the cinematic uh, views. I get inspiration from the storylines and plots uh and i take i use them for i take ideas and i use them for my uh for my own stories for my own lyrics uh for my own uh concepts and i 
take them all and I just kind of make an amalgam of everything. Uh, I still love movies. I watch movies constantly. So there is, movies are a big part of my life and they always will be. And I, you know, even in Fear Factory, from the, from the very beginning, we've always used films as a, a technique to sample. We've taken not just sounds, but uh, dialogue as well. So I love putting those little snippets here and there when I can to, to help influence and to help create a vibe because films create a vibe. People love films because they do get lost. It's an escape form. And so to get lost into a beautiful movie can transform your life only, you know, even for a couple hours, it transforms your life. And sometimes you can walk out thinking differently about a topic or a concept. Is there a certain genre or time period that you find yourself going back to over and over again when it comes to film and gathering those influences uh, from? Um, no particular genre. I love films from documentaries to sci-fi or into uh, drama. Uh, there's, there's great films in every generation. Uh, from the 60s to the, you know, I was born in 69, so I, you know, the films that from the 70s onwards to, to now, there's so many great films and so many different genres that I'm attracted to, not just because of the concept and the story, but visually exciting at the same time. So it's, uh, I wouldn't say there's any particular, you know, I mean, if I told you my, my like, top five films of all time, you know, there's like Blade Runner, there's Raising Arizona, there's um, RoboCop, you know, that's just three. So those are, you know, obviously sci-fi, but there's comedy and drama in it as well. So uh, Excalibur, that's another one. It's just like fantastic movies. I think there's, for me, there's a lot of great movies that were produced in the 70s that were just like the late 60s and 70s when they were really taking strides and uh, changing the, the the landscape of filmmaking. That's when it really started, people started doing some amazing, amazing productions back then. Have, have you ever thought about doing any score work and like directly working with films yourself? Oh, all the time. <laughs> that's uh, all the time. That's a different... You know, you think you thought the music industry was hard to get into. The film industry and scoring is even harder because it's a tight knit, close knit uh, group, and they keep everything to themselves. And pretty much, you have to know the director if you want to do a score. <laughs> That's what I've learned. Where do you see the future of the music industry going now, post pandemic? Do you, do you think that this might have been a good thing in the long run? Or do you think it's going to take a really long time for everything to kind of come back together? Well, we're going to bounce back. There's no doubt about it. It will take time. The uh, pandemic has created an issue with many aspects of uh, different industries, from the film industry to the music industry. You know, no one's going to film, you know, movie houses are closed. Uh, venues are closed. Uh, this whole so idea of social distancing has has become a, a, a commonplace in our entire uh, uh, society. The 
how I see it, it'll bounce back, but it's going to take time. Uh, I just see I, I see masks happening more frequently. I see, um, you know, I've seen these streaming concerts. Uh, I see, and uh, some are good, some are basic. Uh, it's, you know, to call it a concert is not really doing it justice because it, you, you will never be able to replace live con- the, the feeling of a live concert ever. Now, those people that, those, those kind of people that stand, that are, are at a, excuse me, those kind of people that are at a concert and stand there looking at their phones watching the concert, these people might like those streaming concerts because they're looking at their phone anyway, but it's not to replace the actual feeling for most people. Um, I, I see the idea of streaming concerts growing and adapting to become something more like a visual uh, experience than just the musical experience, much like Nick Cave did with his uh, uh, Nick Cave alone at the Alexander Palace. He mm-hmm. was you know, set up in some beautiful, you know, beautiful, uh, huge, beautiful room by himself at a grand piano. It's just amazing. You know, there's other, but the bands that do like this, okay, we're going to be in a studio, we're going to play, it's like watching a band rehearse. It's not really that exciting to me, personally. So I see the future of, like, streaming concerts evolving into more of a cinematic frame, as you should say. Well, I want to take you way back for a minute. When was the moment that you really realized that doing vocals is something that you could actually do as a career and that you decided to pursue that passion? Um, it was probably when I uh, got into my first band in Los Angeles. I, uh, I've always considered myself an artist. I always have, you know, since I was a kid, I always knew I was going to be an artist. But that was my the destiny that my life was going to follow. So, um... I just didn't know where. I've always been involved with the arts, every aspect of it. But when I moved to L.A., uh, I wanted to be a writer. But um, and, and I would write poetry. I would write uh, just you know introspective pieces, uh, uh, little uh, comp, you know introspective compositions, uh, short stories, and stuff like that. And I would always write poetry about how I was feeling. And it wasn't until I got invited to, out of the blue, I got invited to audition for a friend's band uh, here in L.A. Uh, and that's when I started experimenting with my voice and experimenting with my lyrics and, you know, honing my craft. So that was probably 1989 that when I started, really started being inspired by the music scene. I was already working in, uh, music, you know, music stores, record stores. I was already into music, huge fan. But the fact that I could also be in a band just made it even all the better. And that's, that's that's when I realized, okay, I can make this happen. And it wasn't until uh, the second band I was in, which became Fear Factory, that you know the focus of the band at that point, the intent of everyone to succeed, was just so connected is that is, that's when we realized wow well, we can make this work so you know 1989 1990 that's when i really started pursuing that path how much do you keep up with new artists are you well before the pandemic hit were you trying to get out to as many shows as you could 
no, not really. Uh, I'm a bit of a music snob. I have to, you know, I don't go to any concert. I, I really like to pick and choose the concerts I go to. One, because of, you know, it's expensive to go to a concert. And, two, and three, you know, I'm not really into uh, a lot of new bands, but there are a lot of new bands out there that are really worth seeing. So I wasn't going to a lot of concerts, but I try and listen to new things, uh, get introduced to new things, and you know, try and pay attention to uh, new music that that really I connect to, which is not really music that a lot of people will connect to. I'm kind of standalone in my own type of thing when it comes to musical taste. Well, you, you and Fear Factory added such a cool new groove to the industrial metal. Where would you say was the place that really, I, I guess, grasped onto that sound the, the best and the quickest? Was it was it Los Angeles and or somewhere in America or was it elsewhere? Well, we were, you know, when we, Fear Factory first started out, uh, we were just writing music that we felt that, you know, we could write at the time. Uh, not really experimenting, but uh, just you know, writing, just writing music, you know, like honing our skills. Uh, however, we each had our own different tastes, and we brought everything to the table. Uh, so, for really, it wasn't until we started writing the second record, which is the manufacturer, that really started uh, taking our inspirations and really trying to create our own. And our inspirations came from not just Los Angeles, but from the rest of the United States and the rest of the world. We were inspired by all types of music. Uh, mostly, when we came to industrial music, it was like Vinnie Giva and uh, uh, Einstein and Neubau and White House, Swans, uh, um, Skinny Puppy, uh, Ministry, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, these bands are from all over the world. So... It was, uh, you know, we started taking, you know, just things that we're inspired by. Well, I know that Dino mentioned that there might be a new album coming up with Fear Factory. Is there any truth to this? I have no idea. <laughs> we recorded a record, well, we recorded a record in 2017. It's completed, you know, and it's, uh, Nuclear Blast, is, Nuclear Blast has it, has artwork, has everything. Now, if it comes out, it's another story, <laughs> Well, go, going back into film for a minute, though, has there been anything new and recent that's really like caught your eye? Or were you using any samples or any new kinds of film techniques in uh, in Ascension of the Watchers? Um, for new films, not really. Uh, I was taking, you know, uh, like most of the dialogue samples are from classic movies or older movies. Um, for the vibe of the record, it was like older films that really just kind of, you know, create a mood. Uh, I'm very inspired by Ennio Morricone, for instance, and so there's a lot of that aspect in it. Very inspired by Van, you know, Vangelis, and so there's a lot of aspects of that from, from his career. But there's, you know, that's just tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, I think it's just the idea for me, to help create a story, uh, to help you along a journey, uh, the sounds have to be able to create an image in your mind to really transport you to a different 
to, to a, a place in your mind without film. To me, that's what the magic of music is. Uh, what was it like working with Jace Lewis on this new album? Did, did he really get what you guys were looking for? Or is he one of the better producers that you worked with in a while? Uh, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> Chase, when uh, Chase came into the fold, um, you know, we became we became great friends almost instantly, and uh, we spoke constantly. And I t- I spoke to him constantly about my my thoughts on music, and he spoke to me. You know, we just had constant dialogue about music. And I told him what kind of sound I was looking for. I would playing music of you know, the bands I was inspired by, uh, films I was inspired by, just the, 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 the everything that we, everything about music. Uh, so he understood what I was coming from. Uh, and he's a, you know, he's also a highly talented musician. Uh, he's an up and coming producer. He, he understands music in and out. He's just, uh, he's totally meticulous. Which, which is great for a producer. So Chase, you know, Chase understood what we were trying to achieve, and he he understood it completely. I think he nailed it with his record. Chameleon. And actually, he he, re, he actually exceeded my expectations. When you when you guys get to actually perform live again, can we expect guys like uh, Scott Ir- Scott Irvin uh, to come back, or are you going to have like a completely new? Uh, live live band. Well, John will be on keyboards, and I will be on guitar and singing, and Jace will be on drums. Uh, we will see. Uh, who's a, you know, we'll see. You know, we have. You know, there's you know, Scott Irvin's doing his photography. I'm not sure if he's doing bass anymore. He might be, but um, we shall see what happens. You know, um, whoever we pick as a bass player and playing guitar player will be. Uh, the perfect match for us, you know. It's, you know, for me, it's important to find someone that can really fit into the fold with essential the watchers. Well, I'm really excited to see this live. Do you have anything set up in the new year that hopefully will come to fruition? Well, we are in the midst of planning something like a, a streaming event for later this year. So we're in the planning process of that. Uh, right now, I'm uh, searching for an artist to create a poster for it so we can start selling pre-tickets. Uh, I have a great idea, and uh, it's, 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 the idea is inspired by that Nick Cave um, uh, concert that he did at the Alexandra Palace. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, for me, like I said, visual has to match the music, and I'm not going to just do it in the studio. It has to be. Uh, in a place and has to be done well so it's very visually exciting at the same time well I'm very excited for that event Burton it's an honor to talk to you thank you so much for coming on the show and I hope everybody goes and checks out this new album it's fantastic well Robert thank you very much for the call appreciate it and uh, hopefully uh, you'll see us live and not just us but a lot of other bands on the road soon too of course thank you cheers Thank you for listening. Make sure to catch Burton C. Bell on the new album Apocrypha from Ascension of the Watchers coming out October 9th. And this concludes our broadcast day.